Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. This episode will be on The Terminal List, Season 1. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. We're very happy and excited to be here discussing one of our favorite shows so far this year, Amazon Prime's The Terminal List. This came heavily recommended to me by you, and it was heavily recommended by a bunch of fans of ours to finally get on the show. And it's one of the best series that Amazon Prime has produced, and it was excellent. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It stars Chris Pratt, who also produced and secured the rights to The Terminal List because it was created by Jack Carr, who wrote the book The Terminal List, James Reese won. The series follows Lieutenant Commander James Reese, played by Chris Pratt, after his platoon of Navy SEALs are ambushed while on a covert mission, Reese returns home to his family with conflicting memories of the event and questions about his culpability. As new evidence comes to light, Reese discovers dark forces working against him, endangering not only his life but the lives of those he loves. That's a great narration. Thanks, pal. And this is Chris Pratt's best performance, I think. He gives it his all. He's going to emotional places and very interesting places for a performer that you haven't seen him do before. And it's great to see him avoid the comedy. It's, it is very refreshing. He has his moments and he does have that effortless charm still. But I love the aspect of him just taking this role seriously, avoiding the cliches and what we expect from him. And the, the testament to you know the, the brave men and women who, who defend our country – this show does a great job of portraying them, what their lives are like, how difficult it can be, uh, it, the camaraderie that soldiers have with one, with one another, and combine that with a terrific, intriguing mystery. I got like notes of like the Jason Bourne, like a little bit of Mission Impossible, like great war films like um, Zero Dark Thirty. A lot of that men- meshed together. I just loved it. every note of this of this series. From episode two, I was like, oh my god, the action is excellent, the The kills are amazing, there's a lot of stuff you haven't seen before in this in this show that is just shocking, and I, I, I love the show, I think it was really fantastic, and there's a reason why it's currently the one of the Amazon Prime's best performing TV shows of all time. Pretty much, it's yeah. up there, so we'll get to that in a little bit. The show also stars Constance Wu, Taylor Kitsch, Riley Keough, Arlo Mentz. GN Triplehorn, Jared Shaw, JD Pardo. And for me, all those things I agree with. And it also felt like The Punisher in a the lot Punisher, of times. Yeah. It's a great revenge film. The Punisher is also a Navy SEAL, just like James Reese's. But this is more of uh, domestic espionage, domestic governmental corruption involved as well. And it was showrun by Dave DeGilio, who's a producer, and he also wrote the first two episodes. And the first director of the director of episode one. An executive producer and producer on the show is also the great Antoine Fuqua, who's one of Hollywood's most underrated directors right now. He directed the pilot, and he was actually trying to secure the rights at the same time as Chris Pratt. And they were both in a bidding war with someone who they didn't know who it was. And then according to Antoine Fuqua, a friend who's a Navy SEAL, his name is Matt, he told me about the book before it came out. I started to obviously go down the road of trying to secure the rights, and you know, some other guy was going after it. 
and he was a big star. And I was like, who the hell is that? Who could that be? And then my phone rang, and it was Chris Pratt. And he's like, hey, the Terminalist, I hear you're trying to get it. I was going I was going to come to you after I got it, so let me get it, and then we'll do it together. So they became producing partners and securing the rights together. And Pratt, being a man of his word, secured the rights, went straight to Fuqua to adapt the book into the series that it became with showrunner David DeGilio. And they describe it as a tradescraft meets paranoia. Much more intriguing, Antoine Fuqua meets Alfred Hitchcock. Love it. And they, the pair of them, they actually, now they're pals now, but they both have friends within the Navy SEAL community, which is why they both wanted to do the book so badly, which is why they had a deep connection to the story and probably why, probably how Chris Pratt learned that Foucault was also the other bidder instead of it being anonymous. So I, I, I like how you can clearly see the passion they have for that world and for these people and for these characters. They really infuse a lot of authenticity Everything feels very true to life. I'm not a soldier or a Navy SEAL, but I feel like they did a great job capturing that culture in the film. Thing You see all sorts of things, not just from special operations, but uh, little things like he goes to the base a couple of times, and you, can, and you can see Navy SEALs training in the background and seeing the flashbacks of his own training, what these people go through to become these ultimate soldiers it's really impressive the the amount of care that was put into into the series and also the tactical scenes the action scenes they seem really terrific really well done very believable um, and also just surprising at times there are some really shocking moments of the show there's a ton of authenticity to the show because they had navy seals on set so former navy seal and current military consultant ray mendoza served as a technical advisor on the show while pratt's friend jared shaw another former navy seal and the woman whom the actor shadowed while preparing for the film zero dark 30 where he played a navy seal as well in that film from Catherine bigelow was a co-producer on the show and played reese's friend and platoon member Ernest Boozer Vickers, also former Army Ranger Max Adams, was a member of the writing staff. So these guys help bring so much authenticity and realism to the show. But you can just tell from the technical aspects of Chris Pratt's character, James Reese, and all the other Navy SEALs and military personnel, their maneuvers, their technicians. The way they carry a weapon. It's just so authentic and more realistic than you see in most TV shows and movies. Yeah, like when just the way Chris Pratt... Uh, for example, the hospital attack, just the, or moving through hallways through his, in his home, the way he handles a, a just a pistol, the way he carries it, it's so accurate to how someone like a Navy SEAL, a highly trained person, would carry it. It's not just like movie actor, just like holding it out dramatically. Like he's keeping it close to his body, at at the ready for any moment where he can quickly lift it up, and that's how soldiers like that they really maneuver around these areas, especially tight tight spots like that. And also, the, the cast is really terrific. Constance Wu was excellent as basically the, the main supporting actor of the, of the series. She plays a journalist who's he gets involved into this story of trying to uncover what's really going on. She does a fabulous job and has a lot of great scenes. Uh, and then also, we have uh, – what's his name? I'm sorry, the Australian actor. Taylor Kish. Uh, the, other, the Australian actor who plays uh, Boomerang in Suicide Squad. Boomerang in Suicide Squad. Oh, Jai Courtney. Jai, Jai Courtney did a terrific oh, job. Yeah. I haven't seen him in a, a lot of things since Suicide Squad, but he did a, he did an excellent job as an antagonist. Also, James Gunn's brother, Sean Gunn, has a very sizable role in this show, and he did excellent. He's an antagonist as well. I did not know he had those acting chops. He really surprised me with a, a bunch of his scenes. He was very impressive as his character. And then Taylor Kish did a wonderful job 
as James's uh, old friend, old buddy, old wartime pal, who has a very important role in this series. I think the ensemble was just fantastic. And plus, anyone who's a fan of Sons of Anarchy and the Mayans, the actor J.D. Pardo has a huge role in the That's where I recognize well. him yeah. from. So he plays a special detective agent for Los Angeles County. Uh, who's also investigating. So this this story, we'll get into like spoiler territory in a little bit, but I want to talk more about the response to this show. So audiences love this show on Rotten Tomatoes. It is at 94% fresh. IMDb, it's at an 8.0 with 62,000 reviews. Whoa. However, the Terminalist has been consistently and overwhelmingly slammed by critics. critics. It is at a 39% Rotten score Whoa. from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh and no one really knows why. You can just assume that they have that that uh, obje- uh, animosity, that biased, yeah. biased opinion towards military shows and movies and TV. And obviously, Chris Pratt, not everyone loves the guy. But it's always interesting to see what projects a lot of these movie critics and reviewers just analyze with a microscope versus the ones that they review with a blindfold on. It's interesting because that's such a that's such a stark divide. That's that all, sixty points of a divide between critics and fans. And actually, that was the critic reviews is what kept me hesitant about watching the show because I wasn't totally sold on the trailer. And then the critic re- critics were bashing it. And I was like, man, this show, I mean, Chris Pratt, I mean, they bash everything Chris Pratt does. Yeah, that's the thing. There's, there's so much animosity towards him. And I was like, I got a few recommendations and I was like, you know what? I love Chris Pratt. I love the Tomorrow War. I love a lot of this, a lot of his work. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And I watched the first episode. I was like, this show is awesome. What is what is going on with these critics? And and by episode two, I was just completely hooked. A couple, a couple big things happened in that episode. You know we'll get it to it. But I was just like, this is fantastic. I haven't seen a show like this. It really feels like a great wartime espionage Tom Clancy thriller. But on the small screen, I thought it was just fantastic. And I, then... Once I was done with that, I was like, screw the critics. I'm not listening to anything they say. And I've gotten to the point where I trust IMDb ratings. 5%. And the rating for this, when I started watching it, was like an 8.5. I was like, okay, this has to be good. And it had like 20,000 ratings. So I was like, that that was really the biggest selling factor for me. And you'd be shocked that this is the was the most streamed show for Amazon this year. You would think it was The Boys. They were in season three running at the same time as when The Terminalist premiered. So The Boys was already on for about four weeks in June, and then when The Terminalist came out, The Terminalist, within two weeks, became the number one show on Amazon Prime. It gathered up the number three spot on the Nielsen chart within a couple weeks as well, which is that's for all the streaming. entirety of streaming shows and TV, with 1.1 billion views across its eight episodes. And so then it got was watched for 1.6 million minutes during the July 4th, 10th viewing window in its first full week of availability when it premiered on July 1st. So this was streaming more popular than The Boys while The Boys was in season three mid-season, uh-huh. which is absurd because The Boys gets so much marketing and press and all over Instagram and social media attention, whereas The Terminalist it's hardly nowhere. saw marketing for nowhere. it. Hardly saw marketing for it. Just a couple Instagram posts I saw, and like yeah. when you went on Amazon for like the first week, it was the headline banner. But it hardly had any marketing, and it became still the most number the number one show on Amazon Prime. That's impressive because even in LA, there are boys billboards when the show comes out. Everywhere. They're all over the place. They really market it, especially in this city. And I didn't see, I haven't seen anything for the Terminal List, and I haven't seen anything on social media for it really at all. So 
I think it's a testament to word of mouth. Uh, like, for example, people recommending it to me. I am me recommending it to you. And you know, you know that if I'm like crazy about something, you, it's worth checking out. So I'm so glad you told me about it, <laughs> and and I'm so glad I watched it because I love these kinds of shows. Sometimes it's like I like a show that just has a gritty tone to it. It's brutal. The mystery is really fantastic, and and I, but I love the performance by Chris Pratt and the approach because it actually has a really really great style to it, where Chris Pratt's character James Reese is experiencing delusions and he's trying he's having oh, we'll start heading into spoiler yeah we're going, we're going to spoiler territory he's, he's experiencing extremely intense delusions and hallucination hallucinations and he's having trouble figuring out what's reality and what's what's not real and he's beginning to not trust his mind especially in the first two episodes where he doesn't even in the audience you're along with him you're like is this all in his head is this really not really a conspiracy is is he making stuff up is he the really the person who killed his parents his wife and, and child and and like he's just like losing his mind and so they did a terrific job of blending together memories with the present really fantastic stylized filmmaking you wouldn't really see in any kind of like military wartime kind of project i thought it was really fantastic so well done and then when you learn that it is all a conspiracy, he is a victim, then I am I was like so on board. I was like, kill every one of them, take them out. It's <laughs> yeah, great. Well let's let's set all that up. So in the show in the op in the first episode, we learned that him and his SEAL team were ambushed basically by the targets that they were going after, and his entire platoon and his whole team was killed except for him. And he's the one who made it back. He was also the leader of the SEAL team. And he also had suffered a head injury. And like Anthony said, he doesn't know what's reality anymore. The audience doesn't know what's reality as he's trying to acclimate back to his real life. Just dealing with the trauma of losing everyone under his command. As well as experiencing intense migraines, delusions, hallucinations like Anthony brought up. And mixing memories with the past and changing his memories. He's being told that... You know, it's a great interpretation and an example of showing the the brain injuries that people can suffer, whether it's in in combat or in sports or anything, as well as PTSD coming back from home from war, the effect it has on you and your family around you. So they do a terrific job, authentically showing family life and how that happens. And obviously, there's conspiracy that we fully don't believe. And you know, his his wife, wife and, daughter. and daughter get killed, and everyone's the the signs are pointing to him. This this combat vet, this Navy SEAL who has suffered traumatic injuries and situations, of course he would lose his mind and go crazy and kill his family. And then when you, like Ailey said, when you find out that he's right all along and there really is a conspiracy, which you don't find out till was it episode, episode two? Three, at the end of episode two. At the end of episode two when he's about to take out that investigator. Yeah, because what, and it's so great because what happens is by the end of that episode, episode two, you're still like, I don't know if this is real or not. And then he, he and Constance Wu's character they have a meeting, and she's like, I don't know if this guy sounds crazy. And then he's like, oh, I see someone. Hey, we got to get out of here. We got to go out the back. She's like, you saw someone wearing glass sunglasses? Like, come on. And then even you, a character, an audience member, we just saw like a flash of someone. We are like, oh, that might have been a hallucination. So so then he he, he takes her, and, and he's like, we got to get out of here. So they go out the back in, in the alley. And then all they get. This is when they meet up to have a conversation. A conversation about um, the evidence he, uh, the evidence he has, and the conspiracy he wants to tell her about. And then all of a sudden, 
this guy comes out and just starts unloading on them and then and then James takes that guy out then you're like he's like he's like still still think I'm crazy now I was like yes it's all real he's not losing his mind and that that confirmed everything and then from that moment on that's when the show I think became really sensational it was excellent the relationship between them it's rocky at first because Constant Wu's character the journalist is known for trying to bring truth in light to the effect of service on armed force members and the corruption involved with the government and tactics. And she's using James Reese and his medical history and the trauma and events that happened with his platoon to try to bring light to the events that happened to these armed force members overseas. And he's using her to try to get evidence on the conspiracy to try to basically begin creating his hit list. So they're working together for opposite reasons at first, different reasons, but then they eventually kind of start working together by the end of the series where they're going after the same target at the end of the show. And it's a great relationship because they split up, they go separately, they kind of become not enemies to an extent, but he basically betrays, they kind of betray each other going in their different directions, but they are reunited by the end with the same goal. And the conspiracy ends up becoming uh, the uh, government was experimenting on the Navy SEALs, this specific team, and the Secretary of State signed off on it and oversaw that. And so that's all trying to be covered up, and that ends up what being what the conspiracy is. So the ultimate antagonist of the show is actually Secretary of State. The Secretary of State is all, as well as the Navy SEALs commanders yeah. because they're using this experimental drug on these Navy SEALs, the Admiral. which yeah. ended up creating brain tumors. And so... James Reese, not only has he lost his entire family, he's on the run from every government body in the nation trying to hunt him down because he's taking out everyone who is involved with this drug and with the stocks after he gets information of who was making money off the medication, like Jai Courtney's character was the the pioneer of it all, making billions of dollars off of it. But he's on the run. He's going through all the trauma of losing his SEAL team, losing his family, no one believing him. And he's also suffering from a brain tumor. He's losing his mind a little bit. He's going a little crazy, but he's doing everything he can to maintain his sanity, to stay focused on getting vengeance for his family. And he only has, like, the doctor tells him, like, maybe 10 months left to live. If he doesn't get treatment, he's certainly going to die. And what I, I feel like we don't really see characters like this anymore. Just, like, just the classic tough guy and the classic just, like, he's just a, a tool. And there's really no, like, he doesn't need to be a nice guy he doesn't need to have moments where he's like shows his other colors because we see that in the memories and in, in with his relationship with his wife and daughter but like there's multiple times where like he's told by even his his buddy by ben like we don't have to do this and you don't have to actually kill this guy when they go to mexico but james time after time he's just like that old school just complete badass where he's like no i have to kill the guy he needs to know that it's me who came here to do it, and he's like, I have to take down everyone who did this, who who uh, had a hand in this conspiracy, and he makes this list that's basically like like the Punisher list, kind of like Kill Bill, Beatrix Kiddo's list of people she has to take out for revenge. And you know, I I we don't really see characters like that anymore. And sometimes you can't empathize with them. Sometimes he is pretty kind of villainous at times, and, and he's doing terrible things to people, but. In a, in a lot of ways, we've lost that kind of archetype, and I, I was I was very satisfied to see it back in, in a major way with him. There's clearly a thirst for it with audiences out there, and Taylor Kish is also 
awesome in this film. He's obviously famous from Friday Night Lights, the series, and then he almost became a superstar with John Carter on Mars, which could have been a great franchise, but they ended up not pulling that film off. But he plays James Reese's best friend and former Navy SEAL Ben, who basically is his ride or die, I'll do anything with you, until the end of the finale, where we find out that he was also involved with everything, with the drug scheme, with making profits off the situation. I did not see that coming. Me that was neither. a great twist. When, when, he showed, when he showed up at the boat, yeah. and then he, when we were at the city, we're like, oh, the place in Mexico, I mean in Peru, I believe. Yeah. Now, there are some great action sequences and moments in this series. They really had my jaw on the floor a few times. I have a list of my favorite moments from the film. So I think the tomahawk disembowelment was one of the craziest scenes I've ever seen in my entire life where he finds the actual assassin that was hired to kill his family down in Mexico with the help of his family friends down there. And the way he kills the guy is he uses his tomahawk to disembowel him and sticks his intestines to a pillar and then makes him walk to his death, which I've never seen anything like that before in a movie. I heard I heard you watching it, and you were like, oh, my God! I, I was <laughs> screaming at the top of my lungs. It was, it was insane. Now, the Tomahawk, which was used by Reese in this show, is the WKRNDX. It is a collaborative design between Master Bladesmith Daniel Winkler and skilled Sayak Kali, Kali martial arts trainer Raphael Kayanin. The handle design provides a standard grip position as well as a secondary close quarter grip that was developed to emulate the feel of a handgun grip. It is a really cool weapon. Yeah, I've never seen a, a axe or anything like that. Another great sequence, I think, was him s- scoping out and doing recon in any of the missions they have. Planned. Yeah, the it's apartment really cool. complex it's one. It's cool to see yeah. the planning going involved, but the apartment complex was awesome. Him breaking in and then taking out the investigator who's covering up everything, covering up all of his tracks because he's starting to think that maybe I didn't kill those guys while I was getting the MRI and the, the bodies were cleared up and the investigator ended up being one of those hitmen trying to kill James Reese. And he finally gets re- re- reality struck in when he finds out that everything is real, everything is a conspiracy right before he kills the guy. Then he takes him up. But that was a, a great sequence of planting, practicing, picking the lock and everything like that. And that's an example where he didn't have to kill the guy. And I feel like so many modern interpretations of stories like this, they wouldn't have the lead character end up killing him. But James pulls the trigger and takes this guy's life. And I, I like that about this show. It doesn't cut corners. It doesn't try to show this guy as having a heart. Like his heart's been torn out. His heart, his, his life has been destroyed. And now he's just just unstoppable force. And I really like that. It was very Punisher-esque in that regard where even though this guy, he's like, he wasn't like the villain of of the story and he's just a small piece of it, James still didn't even spare him. He could have spared him, but he chose not to. I mean, if you're in that situation, the guy responsible who, who was helpful with the responsibility of the death of your wife and, yeah. and daughter, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would pull that trigger as well. I think that's why people connected with it in a way. Um, I think the city assassination of Jai Courtney's character was <laughs> insane because we were trying to figure out what exactly him and his the pilot they were planning with that job and something like something they were going to explode in the yeah. middle of the streets and they ended up and she wasn't sure, sure about it blowing she didn't want to do door it door yeah. outside this out the side of a van into that guy's humvee and the assassination of him was crazy never seen really anything like that an assassination big assassination attempt or a big shootout in like a crowded city street since heat i think it was shocking it was really shocking it was so unexpected but it was so intense and so well done, well well choreographed and well shot. 
And then uh, Ken, uh, Constance Wu's character, Katie, was right there too, and she witnessed that James was the is is like really this like this monster in a way to the people that he wants to uh, to eliminate. And it was, I like how it was set up to make it seem like Jai Courtney's character was gonna be the villain of the show, the and, big bad. Yeah, the big bad. But then taking him out by episode five, I was like, oh, that I did not see that coming. And it was a really great, um, really great twist for the show to keep it surprising and keeping it fresh. I think episode eight, Transits, was one of the best episodes of the series. This is when he's on the run from HRT, which is the FBI, and he's bas- It's basically first blood as a TV <laughs> yeah, series Rambo. episode. It yeah. was so crazy, epic. He's on the run in the wilderness. First of all, he's on the run from the cops on the road in a truck. Obviously, he's not going to get out of this alive. He's being chased by helicopter and cruisers. But then he uses his skills as a Navy SEAL and survivor, basically, to stay on the run and evade the police and HRT in the wilderness of this area. And it's an incredible episode fall and climaxed with this crazy mudslide Mexican standoff that he creates to escape. And even he even shows he is still has part of his humanity left where he saves that woman's life who's in the who's a former agent I believe. Yeah, I, I really like that episode too. Former ranger. Army. Yeah. Come yeah. on army. Army. Yeah, he kept saying come on army. Um that episode was cuz it was so different from any other episode mostly in the wilderness. I really liked it and it was so well done and I like how there's this great team of navy seals tracking him down but even he he seems to have uh, a, a better grasp than most Navy SEALs of surviving um, of tactics because he fooled them. He's a, a legend. Couple, yeah, a couple of times. I really like how even even when he's up against a team of Navy SEALs, he's dominating them. And it showed how how terrific of a, a soldier and warrior this guy was. And then the finale is incredible. It's his, his, his vengeance. He gains his oh vengeance. God. This crazy compound is being guarded by military personnel or private military for the politician, the sec- Secretary of Defense, right? Secretary of State, I think. State. And um, it's just him and Ben going in there on their own. And then HRT is also involved as well. So it's him basically against an army of military, private military. And he achie- achieves his objective by not killing the secretary. She ends up killing herself, but at making her admit her wrongs and... The story gets completed and finished, and all the evidence from the situation is gathered by the journalist Constance Wu's character to reveal the truth behind everything. Because James Reese has been portrayed as a domestic terrorist, which he is in the film. I mean, the series is domestic terrorist. He's yeah. killing people in the middle of the streets. That yeah. is terrorism. But you understand why he was doing it now, and now the world will understand what happened. And then Extreme Ways Place. <laughs> That's the song that plays the end of Jason War movies. Yeah, uh, Moby did the outro music. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I really love the show. Uh, I can't wait for season two. They're definitely going to green light it now. Uh, I think that the filmmakers and the cast and the writers just really pulled off something really cool, something that no other streaming service has. I can't think of a show in the last several years that's like this. I really enjoyed it because I love Jason Bourne movies. I love Tom Clancy stories. All these like espionage combined with military and tactics and, you know, uh, corrupt government trying to take down someone who's like a, a victim trying to do the right thing. I love these genres and these story beats. And so to have it all kind of infused into one thing was really fantastic. And it was a lot of fun to watch. 
Uh, I'm sign me up for season two. I think Chris Pratt really did something special with this. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this review of The Terminalist Season 1. Take care, y'all. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, John A. Graz, Becca Keen, Cody Moen, Calvin Cam, and Lauren Smertz. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.